Welcome to IT Visionaries, created by The Mission, your number one source for accelerated learning. In part two of this interview on IT Visionaries, the CIO of Palantir, Arvind Casey, shares how we got interested in IT and the seven qualities of successful engineering leaders. We hope you enjoy the episode. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone is empowered to build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps. Welcome back to our part two episode with KC, the CIO of Palantir. This episode, we're going to be talking about seven characteristics of successful engineering leaders how the role of CIO is changing, and a little bit more about his background and his role in IT. So what got you interested in IT in the first place? IT is often misunderstood in terms of like what you need to be good at. But the way I think about uh, a CIO is uh, a CIO has to be able to become the CEO because they need to have a lot of business context. At the same time, they need to be able to become the CTO. So what got me interested in IT is like the diversity of learning that you have. I've always modeled myself as a learner and the ability to learn from every business function and actually like serve them is a huge part of what got me interested. And uh, to one of the points we were discussing earlier, seeing the humans whom I'm helping and making a difference in their life is very meaningful to me. So you wrote this post back in gosh, 2016, about the seven characteristics of successful engineering leaders. And it's a really good post. We'll uh, we'll link it up in the show notes. But I think that there is one of the things I find really impactful about this is about engineering leaders and positioning it as engineering. And you have such a focus on your IT teams being engineers and the, as a CIO, being an engineering leader. And I think for for IT teams of the past, that wasn't always the case, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like, as we're looking at that. So what was the motivation for writing it? And what are some of the kind of like maybe feedback that you got from the post before we get into it? Oh, yeah, sure. The motivation is pretty simple, right? It's like, I think a lot about mastery. And like, I come to work because like, I want to get better at my craft. So if you think about what my crafts are, there are two crafts I have. One is I'm a technologist. Second is I like to build organizations. And the motivation to write this post was to deliberately practice the ability to build good organizations. And writing about something is the best way of maturing the thought. And that's why I started writing it. I love it. So let's get into it. And this is, you know, we're going to weave in some of the stories from, from his mm -hmm. career as well. And also, I think this lens an interesting look as how the role of CIOs are changing and something that we can, a sneak preview of how these things I think are going to be more important for CIOs going forward. So number one, stay in touch with technology. Other than listening to the IT Visionaries podcast, of okay, course. Yeah, that's, that's, that's clearly, you don't need, that doesn't need repetition. <laughs> but uh, in terms of staying in touch with technology, if you think about the career arc of an engineering manager, typically here's what happens. The, you take a person who's relatively good at technology and promote that person to be a manager, right? And over time, they don't practice that. And what they happen is they become bad at technology and become a complete Soul, yeah, right? I mean, you, you, what's, what is the thing you get promoted to the level of incompetence? Correct. What is that? Who's that? Peter Principal. Peter Principal. Yeah, there you go. Right. So, and I, I've seen a lot of people who, especially when they get to their mid career, have this crisis and a huge imposter syndrome because they have the, the time that the last time that they've been technologists has been like 10 or 15 years back. 
right? So I believe, and I practice that a lot, is that all technology leaders should find some time where they are hands-on and learning something that's happening. Be it through reading, be it through writing code, be it through listening to Udemy or any of the courses that are there. You have to figure out a way in which you're real and you're reading a lot about technology. And this is not limited to just like reading books. It's also you got to read journals to know what's happening in terms of what's avant-garde. One of the things that we we focus on a ton is like taking a lot of these best practices that you hear from like CIOs and CMOs and the other like leaders that we have that you're just not going to see those in books. Like mm-hmm. you don't, it's uh, not anytime soon. So mm-hmm. it's like pulling those kind of thoughts and those report style things are so practical because technology is changing so fast. You need to have best practices like in real time. And I think like best, you know, you see like content marketers doing that in a way that is definitely self-serving sometimes, but still super helpful. It's not just self-serving. How much time are you spending to stay in touch with technology uh, a week, a day? Or like yeah. what do you- I, I try to do a couple of hours a day and I try to see if I can get like one deep dive a week. That's uh Uh, the best I've been able to achieve. And usually I try to not deviate more than 70% from that, right? Two to three hours a day of, uh, and the way I do it is like, I'm passionate about, right now I'm passionate about machine learning and AI. Sometime back I was passionate about infrastructure as code. Sometime back I was passionate about information security. And in each of these, I go and just like actually do stuff. Any things you recommend people should check out on on AI and machine learning? Yeah, I think like the it's become pretty popular right now. A fast.ai is an excellent way to get very real with AI. Within the first 30 minutes of your lecture, you're actually distinguishing between cats and dogs. Not that you could do it. You're, you're building a machine, you're using AI to distinguish between cats and dogs. So that's a very, very good way to get up to speed really fast. And then over time, like as you start doing things, you can learn the math behind it. And that's pretty fascinating. Or how much do you spend like coding and actually building stuff? I try to get at least like an hour or so, but it fluctuates. If I'm spending a lot of time traveling, then I tend to be a reader of books as opposed to actually coding. But uh, I try to at least write some code every week. Good on you. Good good on (laughs) you. Number two, don't undermanage. So the biggest problem, when you talk to people about what's the most pervasive problem of leadership, people point to micromanagement as the biggest problem. Uh, But if you ask people if they've been micromanaged, most people have not been micromanaged. But most people have actually been undermanaged. I love this. This is such a good insight. Yeah. And which is essentially like, you know, you take a person who's exceptional and say, like, let me get out of this person's way. But what you need to do is be there for the person and ensure how you can amplify their growth, how you can amplify their effectiveness. Most of engineering leaders err on the side of undermanaging. And it takes uh, the people who need most of your time and most of your thought process are the rock stars you have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like if you, you know, if you have a Lamborghini or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you you hire, you spend all this time getting the Lamborghini. And I think most people are like, oh, we don't, we don't, we don't want to make sure that, that they don't have a regulator. Like we, right. most people are like, the car doesn't have a regulator, right? We can go as fast mm-hmm. as whatever, but then they forget to like put fuel in it, right? right? It's like, you actually have to feed that person ideas and thoughts and best practices and like teach them things like, hey, this is, you know, you should be spending one hour a day coding or you should, whatever those like teaching the mental models or things, because you just don't know. They might be supremely talented, but I, I think that's a really interesting yeah. uh, take on it. Yeah, in fact, a very good question you can ask such people is like, how much percentage of your time do you do work that is energizing for you, right? And I've I've seen as a thumb rule, if people are spending less than 70% of time doing work that is energizing, they burn out. 
right? So you want to understand, and these are rock stars are very good at being martyrs as well. So they might be taking the burden of a bunch of people and doing a bunch of work that's depleting for them. So these are ways in which you should not undermanage and make sure that they are thriving. And it's funny that you say that, like figuring out what those things are mm-hmm. and not guessing. Like for me, we, we our CEO, Chad and I, who's actually sitting in the room, talk about this all the time, but like, for me, it fires me up to talk to like our customers mm-hmm. and to talk to prospects that like want to build cool things. Like that's super energizing. For other people, it's like different things. Like mm-hmm. for other people, it's like, hey, how much time am I sitting with headphones on, like actually doing deep mm-hmm. work or coding or whatever it is? Do you explore those things in like your one-on-ones and things like that? Uh, yeah, you do. Like the uh, a good way to think about it, and we should act as a whiteboard in which you can draw. But uh, the idea is like you think about your work in two axes. One is business impact, and second is whether it's energizing or depleting, right? What you want to do is to make sure that most of the work that you're doing is in the quadrant of high business impact and highly energizing. And you want to like talk to people in your own on ones on what falls in the other quadrant. So for instance, if something is highly energizing but not significant business impact, then you can have conversations around what has to be true for increasing the business impact. If you have work that is depleting but high business impact, figure out who else in the team finds that work energizing and do some work transference. So these are the kind of questions you want to probe in your one-on-one to really get people to the zone of thriving. Number three, set a clear and ambitious vision. Yeah. Scott Adams and Dilbert, whom I absolutely love, (laughs) (laughs) have ruined this idea of vision for people because the moment engineers think about vision, they think about this pointy-haired guy and they don't want to be that person. Uh, But vision really, if you articulate it differently, it is, you know, if you bring your best to work every day, how will the world look like in six months? How will how will things look like for you in six months? When you start asking people that, and when you start setting like you know ambitious goals, people rise to that occasion. And uh, when they rise to the occasion, that becomes like a very virtuous cycle. The next time they want to set this goal, they want to set something higher. Yeah, I mean, I you know we we talk about the mission of a company all the time mm-hmm. because we're the mission. And we like to work with mission-driven companies. Mm -hmm. So like, what is that thing that you're trying to achieve? And I think what's cool with Palantir is like, you can say like, we literally saved 11 elephants, Mm -hmm. you know, through our work. Like how many companies can say stuff like Mm -hmm. that? And when you have a vision of the future and are sticking fast to that mission, making sure that, you know, the rest of the team understands it, it's less lofty Mm -hmm. when you're actually applying like, hey, we're doing this on a daily basis. We're actually doing this stuff. We're not just... You know, we're not just submitting TPS reports or whatever Correct. it is. Like your actions actually impact the larger kind of goal. Correct. And that comes back to meaning. People need meaning. How, so how do you communicate your vision to uh, to your team? Yeah. So uh, we do our uh, the rituals of all hands and uh, we have like, you know, weekly syncs where we talk about like the tactics of it. Uh, but typically we do it through like, you know, all hands and we talk about where we are headed. And it's not so much about like just communicating. It's not about me sitting in a high pedestal and like coming out of the vision. It's about enabling a culture where everybody thinks about vision very consciously. Like ultimately the vision that's successful is a bottom-up vision, which completely matches where you want it to go. So you're a catalyst as opposed to the person who comes up with it. Number four, set a very high bar for talent. I actually strongly believe in that ash that like, you know, B players hire C players because B don't know what A looks like. God, I love that. Uh, yeah. And so you have to almost under hire. So you're like hiring right. And every, if I look at my organization now, the thing that I'm most happy and proud and grateful for is the density of talent, both measured along the axis of smarts and humility. And I think like that the organization we have is uh, exceptional at that. 
So, but you have to be very, very thoughtful about it. You can't like, if you're not confident if somebody is a hire, then you probably should defer to a non-hire. But you really want to have very good reasons why somebody is coming and changing the average curve of your team. You said that in technical teams, there's potentially opportunities where it's addition by subtraction. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. Like, how is that? Mm -hmm. How have you seen that in your career? Yeah. So when you sometimes when you look at people who are there is a uh, if you look at have you been in meetings where somebody is a rambler and like takes the whole <laughs> yes. thing down? Yeah. So <laughs> the it's, it's usually me. <laughs> so that's the problem. <laughs> but like the idea is that like in meetings tend to gravitate towards the average of the room. Right. And the same happens to teams. The teams tend to gravitate to average. So if you have like people who are not having the same shared values when it comes to work ethic, when it comes to how you treat others, and it's also attitude, it's not just like how, how hard they work, then you're changing the average of the team. Right. And the moment like, you know, you, you subtract anyone who's either responsible for some form of toxicity or who's like setting a bad example for what the work ethic is, the average of the team just goes up. Man, that's really good. Yeah. I like that, the average of the team. You know, people always talk about the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, but I, I like the average of the team goes up yeah. when you get rid of the, the non-performers. Exactly, and the output of the team goes up and the motivation of the team goes up. There's several factors that come in. Number five for the seven characteristics of successful engineering leaders. Get to know your people. Yeah, so there is a lot of value in time, which is not, I, I used to err on the side of uh, being very razor focused on an agenda for every meeting. So I'll come in and here are the three things that I'm going to talk about. What are the three things you want to talk about? And super efficient. And I thought that's great. But then you got to shoot the breeze. Yeah. You got to know what truly motivates the person. And it's over time that I've le I learned the lesson of like, you know, ultimately people like to be surrounded with people whom they like, whom they respect, whom they want to hang out with. Totally agree. Uh, and just like shooting the breeze, knowing them, knowing their motivations, having dinners with their family, brings a level of bonding and camaraderie, which is, which is very rare. You know, one of the things that the, I don't know if you've seen this, that Jeff Bezos has like everybody, he'll like have everyone on the team read a document together, mm -hmm. like at the same time right. sort of thing to like get that same pageism. One of the things that we used to do in the military was like read a case study together mm -hmm. and then just like BS about it mm -hmm. for like the entire meeting. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of stuff where you actually get to like see how people think or how their like gears turn, especially doing like creative work or additive oh, like dovetail this or, you know, add, adding to what people are saying. I think it creates a situation where like you actually see how people, their experiences have shaped their lives or like learning more because like people sometimes don't necessarily open up about themselves, but they're, but they're like, well, that person was probably going through this. And you're like, wait, aren't you going through that? We have found, for instance, like the best for us is we do offsites and uh, usually in the offsite after a good day, it's a fire pit by the ocean. People really like to chat by the fire in the ocean. There's something about it. You know? <laughs> I love to chat by the fire <laughs> near the ocean. Number six, create a mechanism for accountability. This goes back to my point of you know, under management. And what happens is uh, many leaders struggle with holding people accountable. And uh, it's not that they have to morph into these accountability czars. But they have to put in rituals, which causes people to feel self-accountable. Uh, a simple example for engineering teams is do uh, demo days, right? So in demo yeah. days, people come and show, like you know, every week if you have a demo day, and people come and show what they worked in during the week. Nobody wants to be that person who comes every week and says, I really didn't have much to show this week. Yeah. Right. So it automatically fosters peer accountability, right? So leadership is about creating this culture of accountability, not being the accountabilities are. 
So, I mean, you said that engineers love working on things that are fascinating, but they hate providing those like dates, those, yeah. that commitment. So how do you kind of like ebb between the two? Yeah, and I think that's a, this is a this is a symptom that I've seen a lot more at Facebook at Palantir. There's uh, than Palantir. Palantir has got like much more uh, sense of it. It is about like helping them understand why you need the date, and the why you need the date is not to come and tell them that hey you didn't deliver. Why you need the date is so that you can plan forward. And so you're, I'm, I'm never going to hold somebody like hey you said Monday it's Tuesday. Why is it not there? But in general, like help them understand, hey, we need to plan forward. Is it going to be that week? If it's going to be that week, how much will be done? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely like that fine line between, you know, shipping a product or shipping something that is not complete to get like feedback mm-hmm. versus just like shipping something that sucks. Mm-hmm. Like the, I think that there's like a, a culture of like, we'll just ship it, ship it, ship it, mm-hmm. that is kind of starting to like be, well, aren't you just, that's just bad. That's in front of our customers and it's just not not a good thing. And there's yeah. there's benefits to both sides. Yeah. Do you think that doing things like sprints and all of that are super valuable? I'm not sure. I'm mixed about it. Like yeah. Because the sprints were a way to say, we're not going to have a large chunk of work. We're going to break it into smaller chunks. But the thing that most engineers hate is, a, is the stand-up meetings. They are like the absolute worst thing ever. Yeah. Right? So I think the spirit of sprints is valid, which is break work into smaller chunks, ship pieces that are like tangible and keep doing that forever. But the process that like the world of IT and uh, engineering put around it and having like scrum meetings and retrospectives, uh, I think you should throw them out. So, Ooh, <laughs> all right. Hot take. One other point oh, yeah. on like the, the previous one is there is there are two things that build trust a lot. And building trust is very important for good organizations. It's credibility and it's reliability. So credibility is like, you know, whatever you say, does that sound right? Do people trust you? And reliability is, do you do what you say? Like, so one of the lessons from Tim again was he used to say, I want you to say what you're going to do and do what you're going to say. So that's been like a big part of like going back to why dates and so on are important as it increases credibility, reliability, and hence the overall trust of the organization. So I think that there's something that for reference, I'm very against the idea of just like blanket statements about like baby boomers and millennials mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. But I think that there is a theme amongst young people always for the past like, you know, hundred years. Like that, us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A couple of, couple of young kids. So that committing to things is important. And like we talk about it at the mission a lot of like, if you commit to something like following through and doing it the right way is something that you need to foster very early on in people's careers. Mm -hmm. For myself, I was in the army, so you don't really Mm -hmm. have a lot of options for that. Like you have to commit and you have to do it the right way because there's no other Mm -hmm. option. How do you get those type of commitments from your engineers when that might not be, especially for young engineers, Mm -hmm. when that might not be in their DNA to just like finish projects to completion done the way that KC thinks it should be Mm -hmm. done versus the way that they might think it should be done? Yeah. So there is a little bit of advantage I have in that Palantir attracts people who are very mission driven and who have this bent of like they believe in the mission. So there is a self-selection bias that I have that I get the advantage of. But more importantly, one of the things that we've been doing is uh, measuring the outcomes of projects that we have done. So it's just not about finishing it, but it's about like talking about it in terms of what's the business impact that's been achieved when it's finished. Those form a very good avenue for people to both like describe what they have done, but have a very real conversation on have we met commitments. 
and do you foster collaboration? Like, are you doing bake-offs? Are you having like, you know, like how, how do you kind of do that? I mean, we we have people who are interested come to it, but we don't really do it in the spirit of like bake-offs and stuff like that. I think like the underlying thing is when people are treated with a lot of respect and they are given huge amount of autonomy, 99% of the people really want to live up to that. Absolutely. Right. So it's the Pygmalion effect, right? I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's no. like uh, this is this king who, you know, looked at a statue, loved it so much that it came to life. So that's the mythological story. Yeah. Uh, but the lesson from that is people rise or fall to the expectations you set for them. So if you approach it with like, you know, I, I set very high expectations for you, I see the best in you, then people will rise to that. Whereas if you approach someone with like, you know, you are guilty and I'm going to prove that and I'm going to ask you questions for that, they will fall to that. So as a leader, you've got to think about like, how do you bring out the best in people? And that comes from assuming highest intent. Number seven, the final characteristic of an amazing, outstanding, successful engineering leader is set few outlandish goals. Hmm. So the basis behind this is people have base level goals and then they have stretch goals, but they don't have like some completely crazy goal that is that they set, which they will all like initially hear it, you'll laugh at it, right? But the idea is that you want to set that so you can actually aspire and try it. You most likely may not reach it, but the process of trying to reach it teaches you a lot and makes you so much better, right? And that's where like an inspiration comes back in people and also like the different aspects of the behaviors that you have to do to meet an out an outlandish goal are different than just meeting your day-to-day goals Correct. right like that might be you know might be pulling an all-nighter which you've never done or Correct. it might be you know whatever you know coding for 10 hours straight or or whatever that thing may be yeah. what are some of the things that you've seen in terms of like activity levels or like change in behaviors I mean, you know, the the classic example of things like this is like, you know, Navy SEAL training or things mm-hmm. like that. These like ridiculous trainings. It's like, oh, it turns out you can do that. You can do these mm-hmm. crazy things or you think you can, but you actually can. Yeah. Like, what have you seen from that? Yeah. So we had like a huge infrastructure overhaul that we needed to do. We had failed in doing that for about two to three years. And there was suddenly a crisis which caused us to get this done uh, ASAP. So I had set a deadline and we collectively as a team uh, had set a deadline that let's get it done in four weeks, right? It was like completely crazy. And we were, we're going to have food here. You can sleep here. But you know, if you want to go home and sleep, that's fine too. But we're just going to be working at it nonstop until we get it done. Initially, of course, people are very daunted by it. But when that got done, there's a confidence that comes in. Like there is a spring to your step, which is not there previously, which like prepares you for more outlandish goals. Right. And, and that's, that's pretty important to keep your eye on um, because, again, these are ways in which mediocrity sets in. Right? And you want to, the way to fight mediocrity is try and do something outlandish. And when you do that, you'll never like the zone of mediocrity again. I love it. We're going to do some lightning round questions for you. Mm-hmm. We have not said these ahead of time. You have no idea what's coming. It's the lightning rounds. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> Fast and easy questions, just like the lightning platform by Salesforce. <laughs> Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I've recently really, I really like Blinklist. It's a one in which you can read a bunch of books very quickly. 
I also enjoy, uh, I found it, I have a newfound appreciation for Twitter because I've cleaned up my feed quite a bit on the people whom I follow. Yeah. And it's been a really, really good app. So I think social net, they got social networking right. I think the next movie, the next The Purge movie mm-hmm. is just going to be about someone purging their Twitter or their Facebook friends and being like, man, my life has gotten way better. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of the negative yeah. Nancys that are out right, there. Right, right. I like that story, by the way. Well, it's, a, <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> there you go. What technology are you most excited about going forward? So I have the answer that you probably have heard from most CIOs. I think like I'm pretty bullish on ML and AI. Uh, but as we talked about, it's not in the sense of artificial intelligence. I don't think of a dystopian apocalypse that's going to come where the machines are going to take us over. I think I see a world where machines and humans are going to work in ways in which humans will do more valuable things and be more fulfilled. I also think like, but there is a challenge over there where we got to take ethics as a first order citizen, but that's the technology I'm most excited about. What is your favorite team, either sports or otherwise? This is a hard one for me because uh, I, I can talk about like what are the ones I've learned the most from. I like the SEALs quite a bit. Right? Oh, and I think like the, the one of the books I'm thoroughly enjoying right now is The Extreme Ownership by uh, oh, was yeah. written. I just think like their work ethic is fantastic. Uh, so it's a pretty interesting team. The Marines are another excellent example. So we're just based off of our networks and I'm close to a bunch of SEALs. And what's great about them is that they're the most regular guys when you're just hanging out. And that's what I think makes them so exceptional is like the aura around, it's their, it's like the will to get to the place that they were going is Correct. what makes you exceptional. Correct. Um, they, I mean, reading about them brings out the best in me, so. What is your favorite one day getaway in the Bay Area? It's actually my home. <laughs> like, you know, it's a, I like staying at home and uh, completely detoxing from all electronics, not being online. I do a bunch of, uh, I, I like to do some woodwork. Oh, uh, yeah? So when I shape something and uh, I'm really dirty at the end of it, but I feel very good internally. I My Christmas present to my brother two years ago was a domain, buying him a domain so that he could set up his woodworking site because yeah. he does woodworking at his at his place. In yeah, Wallacry. my wife was pretty sure I'm going to cut myself sooner or later. Oh, yeah. doesn't happen. Oh, it's, it's, it hasn't happened yet. Not uh, yet. And you're but, doing great. Yeah, exactly. No hospital bills is the ultimate yeah, uh, yeah. woodworker's best day. Yeah, she didn't want to find, to find fingers in the garage. <laughs> so. What was your favorite code or launch or thing that you've done in, in your career? Several, like that it's, it's hard for me to point to one, but a good recent example was we did some work to change our culture and how people connect at Palantir, uh, where we reshaped an internal app so that people can recognize and appreciate each other much more. And just like the uptick of that has been pretty fascinating, but that's, that's one of many. We built, a, we built a machine learning algorithm to predict the quality of tickets. It was no very kidding. cool to see. Yeah, so it was very cool to see that we could move from a survey model, which was which we thought was the output, to take that as input and train a machine learning model. So now people have an ability to say these tickets are running badly. Let me do something to fix them. Uh, and there are tons. Final question: What is your advice for first-time CIO? There are two aspects of an IT job. There's downside minimization and upside maximization. Downside is like, if you don't do this well, people will yell at you and the best is not to be noticed. Upside is there's like infinite upside to do it well. Uh, Focus first on what are brokenness that's there in downside minimization and fix that in a hurry because you wouldn't get a seat at the table to talk about upside maximization if you don't fix it. 
if your VTC is not working, laptop is not working, email is unreliable, nobody's going to invite you into conversations to transform the business. But the moment you do that, the moment you fix brokenness and downside minimization, don't stop there. Move quickly to the zone of upside maximization. I love it. Casey, thanks so much for hanging out. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce, a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone can build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps.